പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ അക്ഷരം വേണ്ടരുത് So we've been um we've been chatting a lot about covid uh between the two of us and the effects it's having and it occurred to us after recording the first episode that maybe it would be an interesting idea to uh look at the covid releases from Marilum Cinema and maybe a little bit about what covid means for movies um we i think probably we d- We were discussing how uh, Malayalam cinema, because it's smaller, um, is maybe a little more primed to adapt faster to um, not having movie theaters open. Um, it's a little more nimble. Um, it makes movies way faster than most of other industries. Um, so we picked out a few OTT releases, over-the-top releases, which were um, put out through the streaming services primarily uh, Amazon Prime but also Netflix uh this year Amazon Prime is definitely the top streaming service for Yeah and it was funny cuz I was mentioning to some that to someone um yesterday even because you know there is a little tension around the whole Amazon as a as an industry and you know my comment was if I want to see Malayalam films a lot of them go to Amazon Prime and there really isn't a great other there are other streaming services out there and they some of the films do go to other services like Netflix or Hotstar um but Amazon Prime seems to be the the service that is picking up a lot of those films and the uh four films that we have picked out today I did notice a difference in terms of something as simple as subtitling um uh, between Netflix and Amazon Prime and I I think that's something we can definitely talk about as we get to those films. Yeah. And and like briefly I do know that I don't know how it works for Netflix but I do know that Amazon the producers will hire a good subtitlist to title films and Amazon will strip those subtitles out and get someone to do their own and that often ends up very problematic in terms of subtitles. So we can we can maybe think about that. Yeah, as we go on. So the first film we were going to talk about is on Amazon Prime, uh Sufyam Sujatayam. That's right. Sufya and Sujata. Yeah, so the uh, Sufi and Sujata um are obviously the two it's even the title kind of suggests that this is a uh um mythical romance um in some ways. Sujata is our lead character. She is uh mute but not deaf as Uh, everyone emphasizes in the film itself uh, mm. she is a hindu girl um somewhere in northern kerala um i think probably kasaragod um there's kannada being spoken everybody's wearing winter hats uh, so i'm assuming it's up, uh in northern kerala and she is a kathak dancer um she's a very artistic um she's interested in music and she's very uh she's very friendly with the local um ustad of uh clarinet and is that right clarinet i'm i'm blanking i th- um so i'm going to say clarinet and then i'll google it <laughs> so you know at the ustad's house she meets a uh whirling dervish um he's a sufi and he uh and Sujata create form a connection uh because of their love for dance and 
they fall in love, uh, but obviously he is Muslim and she is Hindu. And um, her family obviously objects and they arrange a marriage for her to uh, a man in uh, who's working in Dubai who used to be a graduate student um, in the college that she did her bachelor's in. And um, he's, he's, he has a PhD in mathematics and, and there's a lot of contrast in the movie between the you know mathematics scholar and, and the spiritual man. They uh, eventually marry uh, Sujada and the, the PhD and they go to Dubai, but the 10 years later, Sujada and her husband have to come back to their village, to her village, to attend a funeral. And so that's the small summary of the film. Now, I know there was a lot of not terribly positive chatter about this film online. So I'm wondering how you perceived it all. I thought uh, this film was trying to be um, in the Nindemoidin. Um, it's, there was a lot of shots, especially rain shots um, and the locale um, that made me think that they were kind of drawing inspiration from that movie. That's interesting that you say that because that, that was the thought that came to mind for me as well. Yeah. And there's, you know, the fact that they were trying to compare them, to, uh, you know, to like mythical lovers, um, which obviously Moedin and Kanjanamala are, you know, even as real people who are living, there there is something very legendary about their love. Um, and, and, you know, mm. we can talk, you know, we can see, you know, centuries down the line, if this film, you know, the film disappears, we can imagine, you know, people talking about them like... Uh, he Ranja or something like that. It didn't feel as deep. I mean, in the Nindamoidin, I cried and cried and cried. Uh, this film, I didn't. Feel, it didn't resonate with me in that way. And for me as well, because I never, I never really felt the connection between the two of them. I felt I was being told there's a connection between the two of them. And it, it made me think a little bit of um, Sukumodebi, <clears throat> where that moment at the beginning where she is absolutely drawn to Nandan singing, and you can sort of feel why there's this instant connection between the two of them that later gets a little bit established. And I kind of felt, okay, I could understand why there are moments why she might be drawn to this or that about Sufi, but I never really felt there was a, yeah, I, I never could grasp why this was so intense and why it was a relationship she'd never got over because I never felt there was a relationship truly established. I, um, and I think that the part of it is in the story. They just, uh, they really did, did, did like a deus ex machina where they were like, He's a, God, a man of God, and that's why she loves him. Um, and that's not, I mean, that's not a reason enough, you know. You, you, have, you have to have something to go on. And I, what did you think of the choice to make her mute? I didn't understand it. I kept asking myself, but why is, yeah, why is she mute? She, she's hearing but she can't speak. And is there a reason she can't speak? And I don't think they ever really gave us a purposeful reason behind that. I, 
I had this theory that it was because Aditi Rao Haidari did not want uh, somebody else to dub for her. And so they just were like, fine, you don't speak Malayalam and you can't, you don't want somebody to dub for you. You're just mute. Because the thought crossed my mind, well, at least, it, at least it was easy. They didn't have to hire someone to dub for her. So I think you may be on the right track here. And that's actually kind of disappointing because if you're going to make this a character trait, make it something that contributes to the story in some way. And I, I never felt that it did. See, I'm okay if it just is what it is, that she's um, mute and she's just going about her life. But there's clearly something to be said about the fact that they're trying to um, play with the fact that she's mute. So she, when her husband yells at her about how um, she's still hung up on this guy, she can't say anything back. So she just like kind of has tantrums and, and like steals things and... But it didn't it didn't tie together. I you know, they were trying to make something of the fact that she was mute and somehow it related to the story. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a person with a disability and she's still going through life. because um, that would have been a different story entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I and I don't I don't need that to be part of this story. Yeah. Um but I I think it's sort of just in the in the same way that Sufi is we are shown this sort of mystical whirling dervish. I don't understand the purpose of that either in this story. That got me thinking a little bit, and maybe this is a superficial connection I'm making, but it got me thinking about Ustad Hotel, where um, Karim Ika sees the dervishes on the beach. And that for me was more of a connection. It made me understand his character more and what his life was about and what his motivations were rooted in. And if you're going to insert a character who may symbolize an ability to perform miracles or some other aspect of that part of Muslim faith, I'd like to have have him more than just this sort of mysterious figure who turns up and... and I don't think I felt the emotional impact of this story that they wanted me to feel. Yes. Now, another of the complaints I heard was about bringing Jasuria on board and then squandering him in this way. And I have some thoughts about that, but I'm, I'm curious how you would respond to that. I don't know why. So the way his role was written, it was like a, this is a producer role. <laughs> the way Doker appears uh, in Maniarela Shogun. So okay. So I got well, and we'll we'll see another we'll see another example of that yeah. in another film as we go on. For me, I don't have any quibbles with his role. I really don't. I think if you're going to. The role was a small role about this husband and his frustration with his wife and his needing her to move on. I think the advantage of having an actor like Jesuria come in and do this is you know he's going to be reliable in that. He's going he's going to be able to nail what that is. And I thought that was that he did a good job. It wasn't the main character, it wasn't, you know, the two mythical lovers. I personally don't see the point of complaining about him in a role like that. If that's if he's willing to come on board and do that to to you know for a film that he obviously must have believed in, because otherwise why would he do it? Or you know to do it as a favor for friends. That's also a possibility. 
I have no problems with that either. This is a Friday Filmhouse production, and um, they uh, gave uh, Jesuria a very good uh, the odd movies. So I I can definitely see yeah. Jesuria just doing this because uh, this is this is a good um, this is a good thing to do for your friend. Yeah, you gave me some good moments in my career. Mm-hmm. I will give back. And I have no problems with that. And I don't think there was anything about his performance that you could quibble with under those circumstances. I mean, certainly he's, you know, a good enough actor to carry a film on his own. And I would never argue against that. But I also don't see why people have a problem with an actor taking on a little role for whatever purpose to, you know, to help out a film. Um, I can so my sort of quibble, I would say, is that um, Jessica felt like he was acting in a different movie than everybody else. The only exception being the mother uh, of Sujada, played by Kalaranjini. Like, there's something like those moments with um, Jessica and the parents felt like uh, uh, were the most captivating moments of the film for me because I wanted to see more of this bad marriage and I wanted to see more of this uh the like the parents um who are old now but 10 years ago when they made the choice to pressure their daughter into marrying somebody she wasn't ready to marry they were middle-aged and and they're they're kind of reaping the uh, repercussions of the the decision they made to pressure her into a marriage and you kind of feel like yeah this is what happens if you if you make bad choices in your younger years over a person you had control over and now you're kind of saying that you're old people and you're suffering and that you know the, the you know their helplessness was really really powerful for me that i liked that part of the movie but I but I would agree with you that they, they seem to be telling two different styles of stories and didn't have a really good grasp on how they fit together, which which can be... I wasn't disappointed by the film. I mean, the cinematography is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And I know, I know that I can, I can be swayed when things are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> the music is also very pretty. Yes. I'm thinking the music is Gopi Sundar. No, no, the music is not Gopi. The music is uh, MJ Achandran. Yeah, it's a it's a great soundtrack, um, and I kept listening. I mean, I have been listening to uh, Vadikala even before this, uh, watching this movie. But um, it's 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 an earworm, and it's very beautiful. And I liked the idea of setting the story as somewhat of a folk tale or mythic romance. I liked I, I liked the idea of a lot of things in this movie. I just wish they had kind of held together a little better. And I do think I liked it more than I might otherwise because it was beautiful to look at, because it was beautiful to listen to. There's that moment with the, pr- the prayer beads, which I thought was really lovely, where uh, Sufi says they were his mother's prayer beads and every every bead represents a prayer from his mother and he wants to die with his mother's prayers i thought that was a really interesting thing and they did they did follow that through to the end of the film they did seem to have an idea of things they wanted to do and a direction to go in even if in the end it really didn't hang together as a whole 
Yeah, um, there there were points like that, like um, him saying that she will speak when the uh, henna tree blooms. Things like that didn't really like pan out. And going back to the idea of this play, this being a fairy tale of sorts, I, honestly, I was struggling really hard to place this movie because I, I think that's something my own movies really offer strongly is a sense of rootedness in a certain place. And I was trying to place this movie uh, in a time because there's no cell phones, I guess. There is a cell phone at some point, but Sajada doesn't have one. And uh, I was trying to decide why the men were wearing like the pajama kurtas and like the the hats, uh, the beanies, um, like it was Afghanistan, but like this is clearly Kerala. I'm like, where is it cold enough to be wearing these clothes? And, like, there was a lot of Hindi being spoken or Urdu and um, sort of servant driver guy's wife is uh, Kannadiga, so she speaks in Kannada. Yeah, it was it was really hard to place, and I think that kind of, when it takes me a little bit of time to place where something is happening, it, that it doesn't allow me to jump into the movie as fast. I think this is something, a, a unique problem that I have uh, with some of the new generation movies. Like, Amin had the same nowhere land. I mean, they did say that it's kind of mid-Travancore, that area. So you kind of knew uh, what place it was, but you couldn't tell what time it was happening in. Um, Kunyuram Island is the same thing. It's like this, like, mystical land uh, where mm. they can't get this. Uh, I mean, that, that was uh, easier to get into because it was a comedy and they were like, trying to tell a parable. So that was that was a little hard for me. That's an interesting thought, though, because on the one hand, you can see that if you're trying to create a, a timeless tale, you might not want to root it in time. But I think what, you know, what you're showing is that you still have to give it some kind of roots in order for the story to um, connect fully with an audience. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not like they didn't label the time. It was clearly 2010 to 2020 because they, you know, when we go 10 years later and they're living in Dubai, suddenly there's a very strong sense of place. This is Dubai. There's, you know, they're in a flat in Dubai. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have this, like, gauziness that the way they filmed it doesn't have the gauziness that uh, the Kerala scenes did. And there's a lot, I mean, I always have to note this, there's a lot of casteism in the movie, the way the mom treats Kumaran, uh, like trying to hold um, their the lease on their land over him to make him do unpaid labor, and the grandmother having to remind uh, her daughter-in-law that, you know, it's not the olden days, you can't just make him do things for free, you have to pay him for his work. The, the parents are, like, you know, there's a, a lot of warmth from, between them and Sajada, but they're clearly not the best people, um, and it's very it's very clear in the movie that you're not supposed to necessarily be rooting for the parents, even though there are beats in the movie where the, you they get the typical mom and dad are God's treatment. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in theory, we're supposed to be rooting for the two mm -hmm. lovers. I never really connected with that story for a lot of the things we've we've already talked about, unfortunately. And yet I still, I wasn't offended by the movie. I didn't feel it was a waste of my couple of hours, even, even if there were things about it that disappointed me. So maybe, yes, maybe if you make it pretty and the music is lovely, maybe that will be good enough for me. Yeah. 
I don't think it was. A, I, I wouldn't say it was a waste of my time either. I wish there was somebody more charismatic to play Sufi. Um, it was a first time. Yes. After. Yes. Aditi Rao, Haida, uh, carried the scenes. Um, they were in together more than you know. Like she did more than her share. Um, and I felt kind of like bad that he wasn't giving much back. And there has been, again, ironically, a lot of criticism of her performance. And I thought, you know, apart from the us not really understanding why she's mute and, you know, suspecting that it's because they didn't want her to dub or she didn't want to dub. Um, apart from that, I find her, she is very pretty, but I do find she has a presence and a bit of charisma on screen. And I and I actually, yeah, I agree with you. I think she really did carry a lot of this film and made it worth watching. She's so tiny and like bird boned. And like you just, every time her husband yells at her and she kind of like falls up, um, you really, you really feel for her and you kind of want to protect her. And I think in that sense, her being mute really like adds to um, your protectiveness about her. I agree. And, and, and the one criticism I did have is that I feel like sometimes, I mean, her physicality is very perfect for what I think they imagined this role to be. But I also think they just chose her because she's the fairest woman they could find to do this role. Um, and maybe think choices would have been different if that wasn't their priority. I do get a little frustrated because I like her. And I find she's often over oh, I hate to use the word overlooked but I do think she is chosen less uh, less often than actresses who might not be as good at her in the role like she was in um Panmavati mm -hmm. have I got that right the the hint the Sanjay Lila Bansali film yeah it's uh and came out as Padmavati lovely in that but again yes thank you uh, it, it did so many name changes yeah. that I can never remember which one it was. But but you know the film I'm I'm talking yeah. about. And again, like a supporting role, but a character that I just, like I, I'm often, you're right. I, I feel like I want to protect her or help her or there's a, there's a little bit of a fragility about her, even, even if she has some strengths. So I do think she was an interesting choice. Um, I mean, we can quibble about whether there were better Malayalam actresses who could have taken. I mean, that's that's a, a whole other subject in um, Malayalam cinema, yeah. um, you know, and, and and including the dubbing, which um, is something that came up in. Uh, oh, I was watching um, Big Brother, and I was lamenting the fact that um, yet again we had Vineet dubbing for a washed up Hindi actor when, you know, why don't you just hire Vineet to play the role? <laughs> and it's because I, I guess I watch enough now that as soon as I started watching, I went, is that Vineet? <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, a, a whole can of worms that we can, we can save for another, another day. So do you want to sum up or move on to the next film? I actually did have a few more things um, to say just, um, about Aditi Rao Haidari's career, um, which is that she's um, 
She's been working for a really long time. Her Wikipedia age is definitely wrong. Um, the first time I saw uh, I saw her in a film was in Delhi Six, where she played uh, Sonam Kapoor's aunt, Ramabua, and um, in that too she had this like beautiful, wounded, fragile, uh, fragile character um, because she had a bad horoscope, so or she had been married before. I think that she had been married before, and she and they couldn't find somebody to, like, for her to marry. And you know, she's she was the quieter player against like Sonam's more bubbly character. Um, she's a she's a solid performer, Adityo Haidari, and she's and kudos to her because I'm pretty sure she's in her forties and she's playing a woman who's like in her early 20s because she's drank from the eternal <laughs> fountain of youth <laughs> fountain of eternal youth um and it's funny that you mentioned that now because i'm thinking i'm thinking oh she's in her 20s and she can't possibly be in her 20s no she's not she's uh and her wikipedia age is 34 which she's definitely been um uh, in the business way way longer than that and the other po- aesthetic point i have to make is that well, it's one thing for a Sufi's beard to look a little scraggly, but Jessie's beard also, they did not do any grooming to. And I, I think we're beyond this point in Malayalam cinema, guys. A got man who has a PhD and lives in Dubai will have a much like more beard-oiled uh, facial hair than what he was working with. It was like everybody's COVID beard. Yes, it was, it was a COVID beard, exactly. Mamuti shared pictures as well, and he had the same bushy COVID beard. And it's like, nobody's looking after themselves because nobody's Filming. doing yeah. anything. I really felt like they couldn't get like a hair and makeup artist on set to do this. And they just let Jesuit like come in and do whatever he wanted um, with his because of his star power. And he was like, well, I'm not going to do anything to my beard. My hair is going to be perfect, but my beard is just going to be scraggly and COVID. <laughs> So, although it, I I wonder now when they when they were shooting because some of the we're going to talk about see you soon in a little bit, and that was clearly shot during COVID times. So the the difference I guess you know is when are films shot in COVID times and when are films just being released to OTT platforms because there is no cinema to release them to. I think that I think it might have been shot maybe uh, right as things were closing down. Just looking at the timeline, it was released in July. Um, it could definitely have still been shooting in, um, you know, February or March. And and in January, Kerala was already on higher alert. Like the uh, my parents went to Kerala yes. in January 2020, and uh, they were already being screened as they landed at the airport, um, things like that. So I think, so I think they were still working under some sort of restrictions um, when this film was shot. And as you mentioned, you know, films in this industry tend to be shot very fast, quickly and frequently. So it is very likely that, um, I mean, even, even Prithviraj got caught in Syria, Syria, they, they were shooting and got caught by COVID things. So but it's just sort of, it, it was a thought that kind of popped into my head when we talked about his his uh, his COVID beard. Because <laughs> I think, yeah, it really does look clearly like a COVID beard. Yeah. Um, Padouj was in Jordan when the coronavirus uh, outbreak. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So the next one we're going to talk about is Mania Ashokan, which was released on Netflix. 
This is about Ashokan, played by Gregory. And Ashokan is very interested in the idea of getting married. And he's surrounded by people who are married or newly married. And the film deals a little bit with his frustration at the fact that he wants very much to be married. He dreams about being married. Um, the film opens with him dreaming that he's married and they have twins, a plot point that will come into effect a little bit later on. So this is a man who, who is absolutely wants to find the woman of his dreams and arrange his marriage. He, his father tries to arrange marriage to uh, the daughter of a family friend, and it doesn't work out. As we discover later, she has someone else she's in love with and interested in, but she tells her parents that it's because um, Ashokan is not particularly good-looking or tall, and that's not what she was wants, and he happens to overhear this. And it's very wounding for him, and... and as, as I mean, it obviously would be. Um, but he find, he discovers at, later on that there is actually someone who is interested in him, whose name is Shama. She watches him from afar as he's with his friends, as he's sort of bathing in the in the water, the river. Um, she draws portraits of him, um, and she hides them under the new under a set of newspapers, which get picked up for recycling and they end up in the hands of a little boy who starts taking the pages and making them into little boats and one of Ashokan's friends finds the little boats that he and his girlfriend who he later marries realize that she's smitten with Ashokan they get the two of them together her family is not pleased with the thought of Ashokan Shyama decides that she will threaten to self-harm if they don't let her marry him. So they, they go through with it. And as the families are meeting to look at the horoscopes, it's discovered that there's a problem in Ashokan's horoscope and the woman he marries will die. Shyama faints. The marriage is called off. Ashokan is heartbroken. He goes to another pundit to ask if there's anything that be, can be done. And there is. He needs to marry a tree. And I, and I make that, I don't mean to make that sound very glib, because one of the thoughts that popped in my head when that came up was, you know, the story about Aishwarya Rai and, and having the bad horoscope and them having to, you know, marry her to the tree to break the, the curse of the horoscopes that she could later get married. I don't, that could be an apocryphal story. I don't know. Um, but that's certainly a story that went around. So this is not beyond the realms of, of believability. The problem, of course, is he so wants to get married, he takes it so very seriously as his responsibility. So he chooses a tree, he goes through all the preparations, he marries the tree, and eventually he becomes so obsessed with the tree that when another opportunity to have his marriage arranged comes up, um, and this is hinted at in the beginning of the film because it is his actual wedding night and the bride says, I heard a rumor that you were married before. And and so that the film sort of deals with the fact that Ashokan has been kind of married before and what it does to his personality and how his friends um, respond to it. And 
how it gets resolved in the end. Yeah, and I don't think you need to uh, be afraid of seeming glib about uh, him marrying the tree. The Mangalya Doshan superstition. It was made fun of even when Aishwarya Rai uh, married her yes. tree. So it's, and in this uh, movie, Ashokan hides it from everyone, his family and his friends, because yes. he clearly understands they're going to give him a hard time about it. And he, he says to the astrologer, get married right to a tree in this day and age. So it's it's clearly a source of um, ridicule, even in the movie itself. Um yeah, I just want to I just want to be careful because I know that it's it could be something that I, I just imagine a story being picked up picked up by a un, an unthinking Western media outlet mm -hmm. going, Oh God, these people are marrying trees. Yeah. That's what I that's that's the idea I want to be very careful about here. Yes, you're right. The film does see this as superstition and it does explore that superstition. Um to be tr to be honest, I had no idea that this was actually what the film was going to be about, and I found that really interesting. Um, the other point I found, because we talked about Kumbhalingi Nights in the in the previous episode, the, the other thing I found really interesting is when it becomes really clear that this is an obsession that is interfering with Ashokan's ability to live his real life and to get married to the next girl that the that the friends and family have arranged for him and they all think is eminently suitable for him. Um, his friend takes him to a center where they do psychological counseling to help him out. So coming on, the, I don't think it's as successfully explored as in Kombalangi Nights, but I did appreciate the fact that they did understand that this was an issue that was causing a block in Ashokan's ability to achieve what he really wanted in his life to get married and that it was something that could be appropriately dealt with in the right setting. Yeah, um, I thought that was pretty refreshing too. Uh, they were very sensitive about the fact that Ashokan was, you know, really attached to these uh, plants, um, these saplings that became his kids. Um, his twins. His twins. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, but it was, uh, it was really, I could, <laughs> you know, when you talk to people in their 20s or 30s and they're uh, chronically single and they just want to find somebody, you can definitely see, like, this kind of thing getting into their head because you go through, like, you, you know, you, you, you'll try anything at that point to find somebody because you're just can't, not finding the right person. Um, and after all of Ashokan's disappointments, it didn't seem such a reach that he would go marry a tree. Um, maybe just how, uh, like, he would sit at, in his office and think about the tree was a little silly to me. Um, but in some ways, it was also kind of sweet that you can see that this is a man who... He doesn't, it's not necessarily a big romance he's after. He's after a relationship that he can build, a family that he can build. And even if some aspects of what he's doing with the tree are a little, I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean, I mean, he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything odd with the this tree. This is like the Harry Potter diddling goats uh, joke. This is not that, he's not diddling a tree. <laughs> No, 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 but he's very respectful of the tree. 
I think my only quibble with the tree was that he chose the tree because it was slender and good looking. Yeah. And I thought, this is kind of this is kind of rich from a man who's been who's been dumped from an arranged marriage because he's small and short and not, you know, terribly light skinned. You know, handsome. Yeah. So I thought that was a little I thought that was a little rich from coming from him. But I do think it was sort of really sweet the way he wanted to look after the tree and look after the the um, saplings. Yeah, um, it was definitely uh, played as if this is a man who just wants uh, who wants a relationship, wants someone t- who feels like that's his and he can feel like he's theirs. And uh, he just kind of transfers the, all those emotions to the tree. The, you know, there's a lot of comedy at the... Um, start with uh, with the with the jokes about like the the banana plant, uh, which is his wife, um, coming from Manasagudi, which is like I guess in Karnataka. Uh, oh yes. Um, and I kept I kept w- waiting for like the woman who they kept talking about, who sent the sapphire, uh, who sent the tree from Manasagudi to come back because like there was a time when everyone in the village was um, chasing after her, and she yes, and she ran off uh, to Karnataka, I guess, with the postman. Um, so I kept I kept hoping that the conclusion of the movie was that he would marry somebody um, like the Manasagudi woman's daughter or something like that because that would have like really tied the points in together. But that is not what happens. But that's a, actually a little cute plot point because they open with that yes. story yeah. of everyone everyone being in love with this one woman or being infatuated with this woman and and her running off with the postman and the fact that her father has this hiccup punch yeah. and then throughout the movie every time someone is thinking about this woman <laughs> including Ashokan's father they have the hiccups which was really cute and could yeah. have been they they managed to do it just enough to make it funny. Yes without it being over overwhelming or too much. I thought I thought it was a re- there were some really small cute little moments in this film. Because of, there's this gang of friends and it's in a village. Um, I was surprised there was, you know, what you you and some of the bloggers call comedy uncle character. Like cuz that person would have definitely been like hicking like hiccuping like throughout the entire movie. Um yes. and, and and like, you know, like falling off things because of the hiccups and stuff like that. They didn't do, go all the way there. They were very subtle about the joke about the hiccups. Yes. And it, and it came out at moments where you didn't really expect it, which made it quite yes. funny. And I just want to go on the record saying I actually love comedy <laughs> uncles and aunties. I mean, they exist in, in many film um, industries. And I understand why people might find them a bit much. And yes, sometimes they can be overutilized, but I really do love comedy uncles and aunties. <laughs> I think they have their place in the right film in the right moment. I agree. I my biggest quibble with I keep using the term biggest quibble. My <laughs> somewhat negative feelings about them is that um, oftentimes they're the people who kept getting beat up in movies like like the hero will just randomly yes. slap them and maybe that, that is like because of that i have a negative perception of them um you know like uh, somebody like jenny shrewmore uh, uh, has probably gotten slapped in movies so often like he's he's got his like slapping twirl um just <laughs> down to the t yes. 
Um, but I, yeah, I do. I do. I like the idea of uh, just a comedy person. You know, there's always like a weirdo in the family, and um, you know, I, I think it's funnier if everybody just puts up with him than just uh, you know somebody goes and slaps him. Yeah, I would. I would agree that. But I just. I wanted to. I wanted to be really clear that um, because I see comedy uncles and aunties. My my husband and I, you know, watch korean dramas and we watch chinese movies and stuff and they they exist in those um those cultures as well and i'm pretty sure if i pushed hard enough i'd find comedy uncles and aunties in other in other industries in the west if i if i watched enough movies mm -hmm. but anyway i just wanted to to put that out there um this is another film produced by Ducair. yes which I, I I got thinking about that when you talked about Friday Film House and maybe Jay Surya doing a favor for them. So Dulcair has his cameo, which he claimed to be very embarrassed about, but he's Ashokan's cousin who's in the Navy. So it gives us an excuse to have Dulcair show up at the end of the film dressed, you know, in the Navy and give all the, the women a bit of a mm -hmm. excuse to fan themselves if that's, you know, appeals to them. But I find it really interesting what what he chooses to produce and who he chooses to associate with. And I think that's been that's been very clear from the beginning because his debut film, Second Show, was very much not like you might expect for a debut film for the son of a big star. Pretty much it was Dulcair and his friends making a film together. Mamuti had no hand in it. Mamuti rarely talks about Dulcair or promotes his stuff online, which I find fascinating and refreshing at the same time. So in some ways, when I look at this and the, the previous film with... Um, Suresh Gopi and um, Shobana. Shobana. Varanya Avshimunda. Directed by the son of Satyanandakad. Yes. The son of someone very known for his, not only for his, you know, comedies, uh, social comedies, but also very known for family dramas. Mm -hmm. Satyanandakad's family dramas are famous. Yeah. Yes. So here we have another, the son of someone famous for family dramas doing family dramas, a family drama for his debut film produced by the son of Mamuti. I mean, a star in his own right now. Mm -hmm. So I find, I find Dilker's choices about productions really interesting. And this one too, I mean, Gregory is not, he's been, you know, a sidekick in lots of Dilker's films. He's not someone who you would traditionally think of as a leading man, except he's sort of perfect for this little Ashokan role. And a lot of people complained, well, he's no Sobenshire. Well, no, he's not. And I don't think he's meant to be. And I think actually he kind of has the kind of little sad sack personality. You know, he isn't star glamour, but neither is Ashokan. Yeah. So I just find these choices that Dulcare is making as he turns to a producer. I found his choices as an actor interesting. I find his choices as a producer interesting as well. And I and I wonder, you know, what what will he do next? So Mamudi famously has uh, a reputation for not having um, having his crew and his clique of people the way Mohanlal does. Like Mamudi's a lot more willing to work with like different kinds of people. I actually think it's interesting how Dilker always has um, 
like how tight um, he is with Jacob Gregory and Sonny Wayne, who both play his cousins in this movie. Um, And the fact that, you know, obviously he wanted them in this um, because of how close their careers have uh, been. Well, Dilker has been a hero. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Dilker has a little bit more of a click than Mahmoudi does. And, and let's talk about Jacob Gregory's career, going from, like, a Kyrie TV serial. You know, I, you know, I was watching uh, Akira Kaichigo um, on Kyrie TV, you know, 15 years ago when it was uh, airing. And, um, and Jacob Gregory or, uh, played a character called Giri Giri because um, uh, the uncle on the show w- didn't know how to pronounce Gregory. Um, and uh, he he played yeah and i'm i'm going to inter- yeah i'm going to interject just for a minute like, i've been calling him gregory because that's what all the production stuff has called yeah. him so i'm glad you actually are referring to him as jacob Gregory because i was doing that until i went well they're obviously not doing that anymore so just to to be clear that he he is jacob gregory but the production f- stuff for this one is just called him gregory yeah so i think part of the reason they just call him gregory is because of his first big role, which was playing Gregory in Nakarakajiko. Um, I don't know if he goes by Jacob in his um, personal life or before his, you know, acting career, but um, yeah, I, will, I, I call him Jacob Gregory, um, but same person, Gregory, um, or Giri Giri um, is what people called him right <laughs> as he was starting off his film career. Yep. Yeah, it was cool. It's cool that he's like, a, he had, he spent some time in America like where he went after a when like he immigrated to America as an adult and then like came back and had this uh, great career, which, um, you know, it's nice to see. Yeah. And I do think there's a place for these uh, smaller sounds terrible, but actors who are effective at what they do and everybody knows what their strengths are and works. Cause I think this film works to who he is, what he can do, what his strengths are. It doesn't demand more of him. And again, I mean, I don't have, I don't have an issue with that as long as everything else in the film works together, hangs together. And I do find it very interesting, as I said, that, uh, that Dilker is, is, this is how his, he's making his career choices. Yeah. It's, um, he's, he's not making those urban films that you would expect somebody like him who has, uh, urban image to be making he's making those films i think that are you know mamori has this reputation for being like a farmer's son and like he loves he loves farming um so yeah i think there's a and um i always hear gilker talking about going back to like their ancestral home and stuff like that so um he clearly has some sort of attachment to village life and and yeah um it's it's a very pleasing film yes Thank you, because I heard so much negativity about the film before I watched it, and I've watched it twice now to try and and prepare for this, and I liked it. It wasn't groundbreaking, it wasn't, but I found it kind of sweet and enjoyable. My husband watched it the first time with me, and he enjoyed it, and I think there's a place for films like that, little films that, that aren't terribly pretentious and don't they're not going to break a lot of ground, but they tell a little simple story and they do it and it hangs together and you walk, go at the end with a small smile on your face and say, well, that was a nice way to spend my time. I think the only um, 
the issue I had is that there was a song for like every woman who passed through the movie and there was a lot of slow motion so it could have been a lot of that could have been more efficiently cut this was a big soundtrack for a Malayalam film. Malayalam movies don't have these many songs typically. Yeah. Um, and they were fairly generic songs. Um, the, you know, I, I didn't uh, feel like, oh my God, you know, what a catchy, <laughs> catchy tune uh, to any of them. Yeah, but again, for me, for me, it's a bit like the film. They were nice. They didn't offend my ear. But you're right. I won't. They, they will not be earworms at any point. They will not be things that I constantly come back to again and again. The, my only um, quibble, sorry, that is my word. Um, my only small issue is I I may be in a minority, but I don't want to hear Dulker sing. I don't want to hear. And I don't want to hear the auto-tune. I don't want to hear Dulker. I don't want to hear Pratayad. I don't want to hear Nazaria. Um, any of them saying, I feel like Nasrya is more qualified than the other two, but like, I got so sick of the time when Prithviraj would sing in every movie of his. I'm like, this is so clearly auto-tuned. And I think that's what puts me off is I can hear the auto-tuning and I'm like, oh, I hate that. Like auto-tuning has a very, very small purpose. And if you have to use it to make someone sound good, it just sounds... So that's my issue. <laughs> People may disagree with me. I un- I do understand why they do it because I think it's it can be easier to promote a little bit because I don't know about you, but I see the people on my Twitter timeline who are mad for DQ and I think they will instantly hook into something. Oh, he's singing. I will watch that. Oh, it's from this film and he's produced it. I'll watch that. So I do think that if they're using it for that purpose, I understand why. But yeah, I can I can live without that. Same. I agree. The subtitles on this in on Netflix was very, very bad. It was translating from a different script entirely. Um, there were parts where, uh, you know, they're talking about Rani and Radisha's relationship. Um, Radisha is one of... Um, the main character's friends, you know, in his group of friend, uh, in his friend circle. And uh, Radhidish is newly married. Yeah, he's the one that takes him to the, the center for to get some yes, help. Yes, he's an uh, auto rickshaw driver, uh, driver, and he's married to a teacher. Um, but every time they talk about their relationship, people are asking them, hey, do you have any good news, i.e. is uh, Rani pregnant? Uh, but instead, the way the subtitles translated it is, when are you guys going to get married? Um, and, and it was like the, like, the, it wasn't like, the, I think them being newly married made a huge difference in terms of how it affected, how it affected Jacob Gregory's character, Ashokan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, and I was confused by that. And I had to go because at, at the beginning, they're not married at the beginning. And she says, she says something to him about he has to learn his seven times tables. And she'll marry him. So, but then they quite ob- they, are, they quite obviously are married. They are married by the time she tells him about the seven times table. Um, pretty much any day, any time we see her and him after the uh, her giving him the coconut sapling, they've been married. But the subtitles don't capture that. Yeah. Okay. I uh, that, because I missed out on that, and I was obviously a little bit confused and had to go back and figure out. Because at, at, you're right, there was a point where they were clearly married, 
but there's this middle ground where it's a little muddled about are they aren't they yeah I have and these are my frustrations because when there are there are moments when I clue in without the subtitles but those are so far few and far between so it really does it really does show you how subtitling can make a huge difference in people's understanding of the film yes and i you know now that i when i'm watching films i also watch them from oh do you think do you think catherine would understand this and i was reading so i was like i had to turn off the subtitles at some point because they kept translating it wrong and it was annoying um and from the beginning they were translating a lot of things wrong and i was like this is like a completely different plot happening in this subtitles than what's going on on screen but i do see you know some decent legitimate subtitlers out there who get very frustrated at sometimes how as i mentioned earlier how how streaming services might strip off decent subtitles and put their own on and i did get that bit about the good news yeah. Or you know, have you got any? That the, the implication was they 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 they're looking for proof of grandchild or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think there is a lot that I miss. Even even somebody like me who has been watching these movies for a very long time. I understand, you know, subtitle of somebody hired by the movie to subtitle being annoyed about. Amazon stripping away the subtitles, but to be honest, I've gotten kind of spoiled by the consistency and quality of Amazon Prime subtitling that the 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 um, Netflix subtitling or whoever subtitled the uh, version on Netflix was was hard for me to accept and like this is a lower quality than what I have gotten used to from Amazon Prime. I would very much like to talk about Halal Love Story. Um, I'm going to be very sort of minimalist to talk about Halal and Haram um, as concepts in Islam, which are things that are forbidden in the Muslim faith, and Halal, things that are not forbidden, or that are permitted. So that gives you an idea of the title, Halal Love Story, a love story that conforms to this notion of what's permitted in Islam. So we have this community in Kerala and the central character of Rahim, who's a member of this kind of progressive social organization that works, uh, part of the work they do is to combat Islamophobia. And when the film opens, they're editing um, a video documentary kind of thing about the attacks on 9-11. And the 9-11 attacks and American imperialism, one of these little threads that, that goes through the film. But he is kind of sad at the fact that he watches a guy putting up film posters and, you know, it's a little, there's a little flesh. And he's kind of sad that what they see in the movies are things that are not halal. And he wants to see his community represented in the media that they are permitted to consume. And I think that's a that's a really strong core in this movie and, and it, the whole navigation of how to make a film um, that will be acceptable to your community, that will represent your community. And you have to deal with people who are questioning the things you're trying to do as part of making that film. So that's kind of the, the core of it all. Rahim goes to a man named Tofik, who's recognized in the community as both someone who loves film, 
but he's also very accepted within the community. And they think that any idea that comes from Tufik will be proved by the, the community organization. So essentially, they set out to make this film. And I love the idea of films within films. Um, and it, it's sort of interesting to see the, the, the things they have to navigate as a community. Like, for example, they're going to have a husband and wife in the film. So they want a real life husband and wife to play those roles so that, that it will be acceptable and that it will be a halal love story. Um, and it's how the community comes together to do this film. And I got the sense from the list that uh, we made that this this was going to be your favorite from the list. Is that correct? <laughs> I actually, when I saw the promotions come out for this film, I was actually, once, once we got the idea of film within a film, I went, okay, that's right up my alleyway. I like that. You also have, you know, people in the film that I like, actors in the film that I like very much, particularly Indrajit as Sharif, the, the husband, who's, who works as um, an actor in a theater troupe, and he participates in these street things um, that do this, these little acts, these little plays about the American imperialism stuff. At one point, he's playing George Bush, and he's got a suit on, and they joke about how, you know, he, he better stay clear of where they're going to burn the effigy. And uh, Grace Anthony is his wife, Sura. I really love when you have these extended casts where you have everyone at every level has a little role, a little part, but it's all sort of significant to the whole. So yes, I, I anticipated that this would be a film I would like very much. And I crossed my fingers because sometimes I watch films and I'm, I'm really looking forward to them and I end up profoundly disappointed. And for me, I wasn't in this case. It's a very typical community coming together to make a, big project movie and I think that's always a heartwarming feel-good experience and I think um yes um like obeying Islamic law is the point of the film but um I think part of it is like making it so that they have to conform to these um these laws of uh their faith also makes uh you know, sets up challenges in the plot that, you know, they as a community have to come together to solve. And it's most often solved by people being good-natured and generous and things like that. Um, the, you know, the organization they're a part of is an Islamic anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist organization. So, for example, um, there's a scene in which Two characters are shown drinking alcohol, but obviously none of the actors can drink alcohol, so they serve Coca-Cola. But because this is an anti-capitalist organization, the actors say, no, no, no nobody here drinks Coca-Cola. Um, and so then, like, the assistant director, who is, um, as in this movie, uh, quote-unquote mainstream, uh, as in they're not uh, they're not an observant Muslim, um, uh, goes and uh, finds them some uh, black teas that they can pretend is alcohol. Um, yes. And I thought that was a nice little moment too, because you expect them to object to the alcohol. But then, you know, the, 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 the next thing is we add on to that with the, with the Coke, the Coke. And I thought it was, I thought that was really funny. Just this extra little layer of something that's important to this community. Um, in tandem with their own religious beliefs. 
but the whole I, and I found it interesting too that they they're very realistic when they go about organizing this film like Tufik for someone who loves film and goes to the point of writing films he's very honest when he says to them we can only do this we can only you know do this tv we have to set our sights at a reasonable level so we can succeed rather than someone like usually when people want to make movies it's they they have this big dream and the pie in the sky and they want to do it all and it's like they have constraints on what they can do and they're very well aware of that and they need to all work within that to make this happen and I thought it was interesting how they were talking about the kind of movies that were available to them um, versus the kind of movies they wanted to see so they talked about obviously the lewd licentious uh uh, movies of the mainstream, but also they were talking about um, the message and uh, Lion of the Desert, uh, which both uh, star Anthony yep. Quinn for some reason, and um, and they said and, and Iranian films, um, and they were like, yeah, but that's not that's not got nothing to do with our day to day life. So we we you know the films that we want to see have to do with our day to day lives, not um, you know grand epics or or um you know vulgarity as they would consider it yeah and i that, i think that was the key point for me because and we've talked about this before about people really do want to see themselves represented in the media they consume i think many forms of media are getting better at that i'm certainly seeing it in, in other places that i'm interested in like children's books where when i first became a, a teacher librarian um, many many years ago representation of anything in children's books it was there but it was minimal and now that I'm going back and looking at what's available I'm seeing so many different communities and cultures represented and I think it's just making um, the broader cultural product um, more rich I mean this is not this is not quite that this is just a community saying we really want we we want to watch movies, but what you're what you're making available to us is doesn't doesn't strike any chord within us. Yeah, there is no um, nobody in this movie is trying to have a mainstream acting career. Even um, Sharif, who is like the actual actor actor in the movie, he's just trying to do. He just wants to take a break from street theater to do something on screen. He's not trying to do any other movies because it, he's very aware it's like it would be against his faith to do more mainstream movies um and i it's it's kind of you don't really see scripts like this where people are very aware of their limits and or don't have um extreme dreams they're just trying to do something in a very limited space and i don't think in most movies but especially you know, Malayalam movies of this day and age, they have a sort of, you know, we're going to take this tiny hotel and make it into like a, like a popular destination for people. Or, um, you know, we're, my, my dad's lost his business. I'm going to build another business and I'm going to make it super successful. This is not, this doesn't have that same vibe. It's very much like, this is just the project we're doing as a community and that's the end of it. And it's, it's very sweet. Everything about this movie is so sweet. Um, Sharafuddin, who is often, unfortunately, a comedy uncle in a lot of movies, um, or he's he's 
done mm. a lot of villain roles at this point too. I think um, he's he plays this like very genteel um, writer and teacher who who just uh, wants to do something for his community. Um, yeah, and everybody in this movie is very sweet. Oh, except maybe Indrajit then, like the director. They they might only be the like like rougher on uh, uh, rougher characters. <laughs> It it was interesting though to see the director and his personal problems, sort of in contrast to what was going on in in terms of the making of the film, and I didn't feel that they let that overwhelm anything. There were a lot of little things like that, like when they they bring Parvati in as the the acting coach, a little moment where they're bringing the community together to to try and get them to loosen up a little bit in, in their performances. That was the moment that kind of triggered the conflict between the husband and wife. And the fact that he has to accept that actually she may be better at than him at this, which is something that he does, was really interesting to see them struggle with, as well as the concern she had about um, an event around her father's death and something that Sharif said, that she disagreed with it. It was something she just kind of buried. And it's a, a moment where it, it comes to the surface and the, and the two of them have to deal with this. And it becomes obvious to the director that there's a problem between the two of them. I loved that moment where he's saying, there's something off about them and everybody's like, what really and he's like look through the camera and it's that moment moment on I wrote I wrote a piece once on the use of cameras in in children's literature and how the device of a camera allows you to to pull in and focus on something and to see it reflected in this film like I see this through the camera I see that this is a problem and I see it's causing a problem for the film but more importantly it's it's a problem between this couple that needs to be resolved and I, I, I also thought the director's uh, interest in sort of uh, in making sure that this that um, Sohra and Cherie's marriage don't fall apart because of the movie is uh, is in some ways him trying to <laughs> cope with his own marriage, which has I mean it's clearly yeah. um, not just the movies; it's the drinking, it's it's his um, sort of lifestyle that is not uh, compatible with his wives um that yeah he's he's kind of trying to like direct a movie but also direct their life uh, uh there's a lot of uh, they're playing with that idea a lot and i loved i mean I, i'm coming back to sylvan again because i loved him as the sound director and this could have been a role where he stole it out from everybody and ruined the film and they didn't allow that to happen and it's but it's so funny that he's he's doing his sound director stuff and he hears the, the woman beating her laundry and they have to run off and, and get her to stop doing the laundry. Or he hears a chick a chicken or a rooster and and he's so highly strung. Like sound is his life. Um I just thought there were like these little moments in this film that were dropped in that added to it that were that were quite funny or sweet and that were never allowed to take over the film. The assistant directors running around the neighborhood trying to quiet people is 
a, such a hilarious montage. It was genuinely like I, I like I was giggling throughout the entire montage because they just like showed up in such <laughs> awkward situations to stop the noise. Um, and and uh, there's something very guileless about the one assistant director who was sent out first. Um, like every expression he gave was very charming and. Uh, I, I need to find that actor's name because he was he was very charming to me. The whole group of assistant directors was, um, they were kind of a good mix of um, extremely sincere about movies, but also just kind of potheads and alcoholics um, <laughs> and uh, trying to work with these extremely uh, religiously observant people. Um, it was such a fun, it was a good contrast, uh, especially in the scene when uh, one group is praying and the other group is uh, getting high and um, smoking cigarettes in, in the backyard. <laughs> well, and it, and it comes to sort of a head at the film's climax. I'm going to be careful about how much I give away here, but they want the couple to hug. And there's this whole question about, is this permissible? Is this not permissible? I love the fact that they have a whole discussion about it. I love the fact that the husband and wife go back and have a discussion about it. Um, and I, I love the fact that the director is, well, we chose a husband and wife to play husband and wife so that all of this would be acceptable. And I love the fact that there is a movie answer to how to solve this prop, this conundrum that they're all dealing with. But I also love the fact that it's a moment where the husband and wife are sitting and they're talking about the fact that like, do we ever hug unless it means sex? Like I thought, how good is it that they are having this discussion together because they they could have been very sort of prudish about well they're a very you know religious couple and they're very devout and they're not we're not going to deal with this i i think i love the fact that they were they were showing that this is sort of a universal thing do we how do we share our feelings for each other um and and sort of them struggling to the realization that maybe it's okay if we hug and it doesn't mean any more than yeah. we care for each other or we're happy to see each other. I thought that was a really, I, again, I, lots of little things in this film, nothing overwhelmed anything else. Nothing came, was a big issue. Lots of little issues that are important to these people. Exactly. It is, it is, there's a, unlike a lot of, films and especially maybe in this in this group of films that we're looking at there is no high stakes in this movie uh i mean yes if you think about it as we have to correct the image of muslims in in kerala but that's not what this movie is trying to achieve it's just trying to put out a product um and you know and just have it be added to the conversation. There is no high stakes in this movie, and I think that makes it very enjoyable to watch in uh, in a time of pandemic. Yeah. Well, and I think they do. The film does what the community is trying to do with their own film: just show how they are. This is how we are. We want to see ourselves as we are. We don't want to see these misrepresented images. They don't. The film is not really setting out to do that per se, but it manages to do it anyway. And it's not a big, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lovely little film. I would also say that it's, it, I was never, I never chose a side between Zohar and Sharif. Yes, Sharif was like a little full of himself in terms of like, I'm, I'm the better actor, but 
everything he felt I understood and everything she felt I understood so it was a I thought it was a very you know there was a part of me uh, that read the story and went in expecting a domineering arrogant husband uh, but that's that is not what it was I think you know this entire movie was uh, for Sharif at least was the arc of like the little checklist he does every night of making sure he's actually honest with yes. himself about whether he is fulfilling his duties to his wife. And there is a moment where he's looking at the checklist and he can't make the check right. mark. He could be, you know, like we see him every night, check, 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 check. He could just go ahead and do that. But he is honest enough to, to pause and then put the book down and not make the check mark. And I agree with you. I think I think I could I could understand where they were both coming from. Um, so it was really interesting to see. I felt I did feel bad for both of them through their misunderstandings. And I felt really happy when they managed to work through that together. The other thing I, I have, uh, I enjoyed about this movie and, and Sifium Sujarium was uh, the appreciation for Mamakoya in um, this, this era oh, yes. of Malayalam cinema. Um, he is no longer just this like man who speaks in a Malabar dialect, which for, for the longest time he was just that character in Malayalam cinema. Now he gets to be that, but he gets to be a more authentic version of that. And, um, and what a, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure to watch him on screen. Um, and I, I, I brighten up a little whenever he shows up in a movie. Yeah, I, I love to see him. In a, in a film and I did love that little that little character where they go they go to they're they're trying to raise they're given the permission to make the film but they're given no money but they're given permission to go and raise money and the, the whole conversation with him about you know that they're coming to him for the money and what's the nature of the money again another one of those roles that was put in there that adds to the film that doesn't take anything away from it and I agree with you I love when I when I see him in a film him and Indrans yes like I I just it, I, I will often watch a film if it if it has either one of the two of them in it just for them even if the role is tiny and in both the scenes that Mama Koya showed up we did actually get to like um, hammer out some of the views of this organization uh, that he's an entrepreneur, so uh, he's not a capitalist. Um, and that uh, we don't drink Coca-Cola because it is, uh, it's uh, imperialist. Um, and all those points also, you know, made me realize we don't see the, those anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist views represented in Malayalam cinema separate from a communist or Marxist story. Um, and that they didn't mention, I mean, a lot of people in uh, the Malabar region do vote for uh, CPM, the Communist Party of India Marxists, but these people are clearly basing their, their uh, ideology based of religion rather than, than Marxist writings. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting, and I've never seen that before. It was also interesting to see that they could be opposed to this imperialist outreach and not be extremists. Yes. Because all too often, that's the stereotype. Um, this is one part of their lives, and it's important to them to 
confront this in their lives, in their belief, but it was really refreshing that they weren't extremists. You know, this also in, in some ways felt like, because we, we there's a lot of dialogue in the movie about um, doing your duty to the organization. And a lot of the duties of the organization are showing up for a protest, bringing an effigy. And it, it's, it, you know, it's all those uh, shots of like uh, masses of brown people in foreign countries uh, from an American perspective, burning effigies of, um, uh, you know, American leaders. And in some ways, this is a pulling back and you know they're not just these bodies in a crowd angry at america that they, they these are people with home lives and they have reasons for what they believe um yep um and yet you know you can kind of tell that some people are also like over talking about the imperialism because there's a scene where uh, everybody's sitting at a uh, auditorium and the guy is like going on and on about the children of iraq um, and everybody seems a little bored, uh, but they, <laughs> um, so that, those are, um, again, nice touches woven in very subtly. Yep. Um, and yes, low stakes. But yes, you were right. I did like this film a lot. And I was, I was so grateful that I did because I did not want to be disappointed as I very often am when I get my hopes up about a film. So that takes us to, to see you soon. Um, I will let you introduce this. Okay. See You Soon is um, a story about Jimmy, who uh, is a expat Malayali living in Dubai. Um, he meets a girl on Tinder, and um, he falls really hard for her within a week. Um, proposes to her um, over a video call, um, even though he's not met her in person. And his mom is obviously uh, on the video call as well. And his mom is like, what's going on? This is so fast. But she still like agrees because um, that's her only son. And um, her mom, um, her, his mom is in America um, while he's in Dubai. So she asks his cousin in Bangalore to check out this girl out. And his, the cousin, um, is some sort of cybersecurity expert, and he says that he has looked through all her stuff online, and he gives the go-ahead for the wedding, um, or you know, at least for the mom to like make a proposal to her, uh, her family. Uh, but in the meantime, um, the girl um, girl is beaten up by someone. She says it is her father. Um, and she asks Jimmy to come get her from her home. And then uh, she disappears from Jimmy's home after living with him for a week. So the rest of the movie is sort of, we're finding out her backstory. I was going to say it's like searching, but then, but then I didn't want to make that comparison yet. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, we can make the comparison to searching in the, in the use of technology on screen. Certainly there's that similarity whether you know we can make any other connections I don't know I haven't seen searching but you know based on on the images I've seen that's the kind of thing and we should say that one of the kind of selling points of this film was that they made it under lockdown under lockdown conditions Fahad Fazl who plays the cybersecurity expert rented a whole apartment so that everybody could be in the apartment and shoot and and shoot safely 
conforming to, you know, COVID guidelines. So that's one of the interesting things about the film. Right. Um, it made a, a huge buzz on the internet and I watched it and I'm going to be quite honest. I kind of went, okay, it really didn't, it, I really didn't connect with the film. And I think there are, interestingly enough, I was concerned um, that it might, I might be overwhelmed by all the technology appearing on screen because there we get like screenshots, screenshots. And I actually thought that was reasonably well handled. I never felt overwhelmed by that at any time. And, and I could have. One place the film d- fell down for me was I guessed fairly early on what was going on with this woman. So then the whole film played out to confirm what I'd already guessed and it left me a little flat in terms of of storytelling. I I mean I can't judge it any other way. Would I have liked it more if I had not twigged to what was going on with her? I was also very angry at Jimmy's reaction. I found Kevin's reaction more interesting, more sympathetic than I mean Jimmy is supposed to have fallen madly in love with this girl. And all he can say is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do a spoiler, but the comment he makes about her, I thought you're victim blaming Mm -hmm. because you're angry for some reason that really put me off. So I will say in his defense, um, he didn't know I think we can spoil it. Is that okay? Well, it has been out. I, I, I'm the sort of, you know, let's put it this way. If anyone feels they're going to be spoiled, you know we're going to talk about it now. <laughs> okay. So, spoiler alert. I, I don't think uh, Jimmy knew it when he shouted at Kevin that she was trafficked. I think he only knew that she was a sex worker. And... At least the way I read the film was that she had gone on Twitter to try to find um, somebody who could get her out of the situation. But it could have also read as there are sex workers on Tinder so that she was trying to find clients online. So, I I mean, I feel like Dubai is kind of known for being a uh, sex for sale city. You know, people have gone to nightclubs and say it's very out there and you know it's obvious to uh it's obvious that uh when uh women are sex workers and so that they're that like you know you're going to a club to have a good time but you're also like you might see some sex workers uh very obviously working there and for a, a dating site that might also be the case that there's a lot of mix between um romance and sex work so that is what i understood it to be um to be fair, I this is my favorite movie of the lot. Um, I really enjoyed it. There weren't any uh, times when I could take my eye off the screen, which is not which wasn't the case for any of the other films, and it isn't the case for most films. I felt like I had to sit and watch like everything that was happening. Um, I it was a very brisk film. It's only ninety eight mm. minutes, um, and I didn't think any of the that time was wasted. No, that's true, and I will agree with you on that. That they the editing was very efficient, and I, again, it comes down to because I kind of had seen this before, whether in the news or in other films. I twigged very early, and I think you could be very correct. 
that my perception colored every reaction of what happened. So I am probably, and I will freely admit this, I'm probably not the best judge for this film at all. And that's okay. Jimmy certainly isn't flawless, though. I mean, we know that he jumps from one relationship to the other. There are hints that he's had some troubles before. Yes, yes, that he's had trouble with the cops before. And honestly, I was a little more sketched out that the first reaction that he had when she disappeared and the cops came was not so much concern for her as much as it was he's going to go to jail. Yeah, I, I, I think my bottom line was I was kind of dissatisfied with him as a character. Um, and again, that might be because I had this perception early on and that colored everything else in the film for me. I mean, you know, Fahad Fazl is, I, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen anytime he was on and doing his thing. He really is compelling. You know, even just to sit there and, and sort of be a screenshot on a computer, he's really compelling. And that's kind of fascinating. Absolutely. I found the fact that he got, he's always played, um, he's been really good at switching from like these naive village characters to these slightly urban um, guys who use women. Um, and this is one of the, the, in the second pool, but he got to be the one who um, got to sympathize with the trafficking yes. victim, which I didn't know if that was because he's the producer. We got another producer star in this movie. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, like uh, there's a scene in Searching as well, uh, which is this movie is very comparable to where, um, you know, where we we get the big reveal where the dad finally gets like a load of data and he's like clicking through it and he finds uh, his daughter's videos and what she's and the communications where um, he realizes where she's gone. Um, and in the same way, there is a there is a big reveal moment where we're just looking at Fahad going through files. And I, I don't know if there's a different way to do a computer screen movie. Um, if, you know, where you just don't go through a giant folder of information and that reveals things. Well, I mean, it's, I certainly, um, it's certainly a device I've seen in other films that kind of depend on computer screen use so I mean I wouldn't I don't have any objections to that and as I said at the beginning I worried that I would feel overwhelmed by it all and I found it it really did add to the intensity of what was going on and I'm and I do find it fascinating because I'm you know of a generation coming to a lot of this stuff late a lot of it doesn't a lot of it isn't um, something my generation participates in so I sort of see it secondhand and I really did worry that I was I was going to lose interest because it, it was a world that I know only from the very surface. So I did find it very intriguing and very compelling to watch people connecting in ways that, that I don't and the tools they use and how it is fascinating to see how wired we all are on some level. Yes, and the fact that there's... You know, so many cameras, they switch from like a phone camera to a computer camera. Um, it was, you know, that the, there's actually a CCTV, that there's so many ways in which cameras are capturing human life on a daily basis. Yes. Yeah. The thing, the, the thing that is probably most impressive to me about this film is that, um, that this was shot 
um, so quickly. Um, I think there's, uh, I think I wrote down how many days it was shot over. I thought I, something like 10 days, but it really was. Yeah. So yeah, they shot in, uh, they shot on, they finished shooting on August 21st. And then this was released on September 1st. So the turnaround time on the editing was really, really fast. Even for Malayalam cinema, that's a really quick turnaround time. Yeah, and I do, what I did find really interesting about, this was the aspect that I found very interesting about the film, was how fast they put it together. And even though there were parts that I was disappointed with, I think the film as a whole, to be done in that quick a time under the constraints of COVID shooting really is an interesting feat. I wrote down this uh, note to myself that this didn't need to be as good as it turned out to be for what it was, which was an (laughs) effort to prove that A, we could make films under COVID restrictions, B, um, a computer screen film, and C, you know, make money for uh, film workers. So that, you know, under those uh, conditions, it didn't need to be as solid a film as it turned out to be. Yeah, and and I mean, my complaints are really quite personal. And again, if I hadn't kind of twigged to certain things, would I have felt differently? And I'm not like I'm not. I get when I when when films are made and they're sloppy, and I get angry. And this was not that. This is I, I'm I'm not trying to say that this was a bad film, a sloppy film, or in any way, shape, or form. I agree with you. I think I think there were parts of this film that are very compelling um, in both the storytelling and in the production. I found the production side more compelling for me than the story side. I do wonder, I mean, one of the questions I asked myself as we were thinking about these four films, which are really the first four that went to straight to um, streaming platforms, one of the questions I had for each of them was, how would they have fared at the box office? Does See You Soon become more compelling because it's designed in a way that makes it very compatible with going straight to streaming in terms of, you know, the the type of world that we live in? I think See You Soon would have done well in multi-screen theaters uh, simply because of Fahad. Um, Just like I think Maniarede Ashokan would have done fine because of Luther. I... I don't think the other two would have done as well. No, and I, I, I think I agree with you. As much as I love Halal Love Story, it's such a little film, and I think it it's the kind of little film that is hard to find a place for. So I think it may have... I mean, we're just doing crystal ball stuff here because who knows? Um, if I could predict what films would be successful, I, you know... <laughs> I'd be doing something other than what I'm doing now. Um, and, and simply the fact that I reacted in different ways. I often react different than, than what sort of the majority thinking is with, with my media, which is okay because it means I, those little niche films are for me and at least they have an audience. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I, think, um, I think See You Soon probably would have done a lot better than the other, any of the other films. I mean, I went to see uh, Bangalore Days in the theater, and this was just when Fahad was really getting hot. And it was, 
he when he appeared on the screen in that the whole audience stood up and cheered and clapped and it was the first time I'd seen that for him I'd seen it for Mohanlal I'd seen it for Mamuti it was the first time I'd seen it from anyone of of like the new gen generation Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think I think he has a hold on the audience that would have just whatever the material would have had them coming out for him. Yeah, and they might have made some different choices. Um, you know, maybe maybe they wouldn't have made him, you know, curse out his boss slash um, hookup. Um, <laughs> you know, even though it's for a theatrical release, they might have made slightly different choices just yeah. because you have to make it more appropriate for a theater audience. Um, yeah. But it was funny to me that she call, called him, a, called the entire family complete misogynist. Um, <laughs> and it's a very messy relationship. There's, um, and, uh, you know, they, they have very much have a love-hate relationship and uh, they use each other for sex. Um, and he feels like she takes a lot of credit for his work, but then you don't know because yeah. you know you know the reputation of men who work for female bosses and not not respecting them. So uh, there's a lot of things to dig through in their in their uh, uh, interactions. And I liked the way the servant moved through his life um, very quietly while he's sleeping. And this is how in big cities, typically servants, uh, you know, it's not like in, or it used to be in Kerala, it's harder now because you can't find, uh, most people don't, aren't domestic servants. Uh, Domestic servants don't like live with people a lot anymore. but yeah, in big cities, they just kind of come in for an hour or two, and then they like do their thing, and they leave. Um, you know, if if this was a more typical Malayalam cinema, uh, you know, you would have seen that maid like in Bangalore days who interferes with like the life of uh, the person living in the house. Um, yeah, this is very much not that. And I always want. Uh, I think that the, you know the closest we get to sort of. Um, the perspective of the sort of underclass of big cities uh, is Dobie God, um, is where you kind of, this this pop, this uh, class of servants slash helpers to to middle class and upper middle class and upper class people who just, you know, I want to see more movies from that perspective of uh, what do they think of the people they worked for? Um, I used to be one of the people mm. who had a servant uh, when I was living in Bombay. So, so yeah, I was like, I'm sure sh- she had thoughts about me and my lifestyle that uh, weren't flattering. Or maybe she didn't think about me at all. So I, I want to see movies like that uh, from that perspective. As, as he was cleaning up, I kept thinking, I wonder what he's thinking of this guy who sleeps in the daytime. I know, and then that was that was one of the moments though where I, I I'm showing my my adverse uh, my adverse reactions to technology when I was like, dude, turn your camera off. <laughs> Except we wouldn't have a movie, but it you're right. It does give us that little moment where you where you you know you watch him. He goes and he goes to sleep, and then the the servant comes through and is doing his thing and looks looks into the camera too at one point, or is looking at the computer like we see him looking at one point while he's going about his things. Uh, I think that was, um, I saw it as a way to acknowledge he, the camera is on in the movie as well. It's not just the camera um, is on 
for, like mm. outside the movie it's on in the movie as well um and you know you kind of feel like he's about to do something suspicious um but it, all he's doing is just taking the money because like this guy is always asleep he's not gonna pay him normally yeah. so he just leaves the money in his wallet like that so what did you think about this movie being set in dubai well i mean it 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 you know you talked earlier about the sex trade in Dubai and, you know, there have been films made too about women who go to the Gulf to work as servants and who end up abused um, in the households. So this is something I have seen before and it certainly gives them the jumping off point to explore that. I I often find um, the Middle East kind of, and the Gulf states kind of perplexing to me. So I'm not sure I'm not sure, you know, beyond that. It, it's certainly something I've encountered before in my own films, this connection to Dubai and, and to the other Gulf states. Yeah, um, I, I guess I, I was also wondering if you made anything. It, it, so, you know, is there a reason it was set in Dubai? Is it because, I mean, obviously there's the distance from the homeland, but also the fact that, that in some ways it's, more liberal than living in India, but also the actual legal framework is that you can't live together before you are married. Um, and I felt like that might be a justification for why it was set in Dubai. Well, yeah. And as I said, I mean, it, it gives them it gives them the framework to 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 have the film play out as it does. Yeah, I was wondering what it would would look like if they set in Bangalore. But then I was like, that's way too close to Kerala and um and like you know you wouldn't have the element of having the passport taken away and it does i mean again it's another excuse for them to add a layer of online connection in mm. um mm. because everyone is community because they are so set like you know the the mother is in the states and fahad's character is in bangalore and jimmy is in dubai their method of communication is online so that already fits into the framework of the film. And, you know, that seems to be like the people I know have this disparate connection, whether their family is in India, in, in you know, the US or Canada, in the Gulf states. And it's an online connection that everybody is already familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it just sort of adds to the, the realistic underpinning of the story. Yeah, I think it also... The same way I felt about searching, it's it's there's so much about um, what is seen seen through your digital contact versus what is happening in in the background that you can't see. Um, anybody yeah. who's dated online will know how how you know you get you become really close very quickly because you might be talking like um, all day, but you there's. But then you realize you don't really know the person because you haven't met them in real life. You haven't, um, you you don't know what what components make up their life outside of this digital connection. Um, and obviously, Jimmy being a lovestruck fool who falls too hard. It was very <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, the timeline of their yeah. romance. Um, everything happened within two weeks. Um, that. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense that he's so he he doesn't think that you know there's anything suspicious going on with her, um, and he just kind of believes her lot 
I think our human nature is to want to believe people and want to believe the face they're presenting to us. And I think a lot of times online, that is the case. What you see is what you get. The pitfall with the technology, I mean, the technology is wonderful because it allows us to connect with people, you know, during COVID times. It's been a lifesaver for many people. But like any tool, it can be misused and misrepresented. And I, and even though I think the number of people doing that would be a much smaller percentage, they exist. Yeah. And I also think uh, it was, it was interesting that the minute things got difficult, Jimmy's mom sent him a ticket to America and told them to get out. Like he, <laughs> he definitely gives off a very spoiled brat vibe. And uh, I, I, there was a lot of layers to his, his, him in this movie that we didn't, we didn't get full, fully because obviously we we're looking at him through this computer screen. Um, but it was very clear that there was, there's, there's a lot of sub, uh, sub stories that um, could have been explored if this was a more um, conventionally shot film. And in some ways, I'm actually glad they didn't do that. Because they they allowed it to be very crisp in that in that you know hour and a half run t- run time. Yeah, exactly. It it exactly. And uh, I did I didn't want it explored in this film, but I was thinking that um, just dropping those hints and moving along really added to the crispness. And I'm thinking about why that's different than you know say in Sufiyum um, Sujadim where they're talking about you know, the henna, when the henna tree blooms, you will speak. Like, why some threads being dropped are okay, but other threads don't feel quite as fulfilling. I, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but it's quite interesting. It, it's something I do think about a lot. Maybe digging a little bit into, more into how I feel is that you have to, a part of it is that when it's a thread that you're just throwing in there and it doesn't have a conclusion, it has to fill out the character or the story in some way. And I think we get that in See You Soon. But that that little comment about um, Sujata being able to speak doesn't, doesn't fill her out in any way. And maybe that's the difference, I speculate. Well, it also, it is sometimes frustrating when a detail is thrown out, like the henna tree, where you think that could be a really beautiful image. And it's just part of a story that's being, you know, again, they want us to believe in this sweeping mythical love story, and they're adding these little mythical elements, but they don't really come to fruition, and they don't really add or... um make a compelling case for this to be a grand mythological love story. Whereas, as, you, as you've said, with See You Soon, they're just little character markers and they're just little additions to things that we can take away from the film. I, I did like the way the embassy and the, con- the consulate and um, the Indian government were portrayed. I, I think um, the Indian foreign minister is one of the few heroes to come out of this Modi era. Um, so it was, uh, you know, Sushma Swaraj, who was the former um, external affairs uh, minister, was, you know, a very popular person um, when she was serving in that role. It kind of makes sense that, you know, she gets, you know, the foreign 
office gets to be this uh, heroic figure in this movie and and you know the embassy uh, the consulate staff treat the trafficking victims really well and and kind of mm. make sure that they get some justice um which is usually not how the u.s i mean i'm sorry the indian government is portrayed in movies yeah i mean i did even though i kind of guessed where this film was going i was still kind of heartbroken by it i mean there's nothing to resolve there's this is a this is a thing that happens to women and it just makes me profoundly sad and kind of grateful in the way that at least this is one woman that managed to escape it. Yeah. The, there's a lot of, you know, they, they did give us a few scenes of, um, of Anu's pain at, you know, being forced into sex work, being sexually assaulted and, and sort of how her family was afraid to, asked people for help because they couldn't tell people what was happening to yeah. her. And and there there were a lot of layers to it. And I, you know, I went back to the case of the Sujanali girl who uh, who's a woman now, um, who was trafficked as a teen in the same way within Kerala and um, mm-hmm. and has for, you know, almost uh, three decades now, uh, you know, been socially isolated from her community uh, because she made accusations against a very powerful politician. Um, and, you know, I, I went back and, you know, read some articles about her because this movie kind of made me think about trafficking. And um, yes, there's a special situation when you go to a foreign country where the passport might be taken away. But obviously this is something that the story could have been set in, um, in India as well. Uh, um, and you know, it, you know, with different contours, but, you know, essentially the same story has happened in India as well many times. Do we want to have anything to tie up today? Some conclusions? Some, because we've, we've, <laughs> we've spent a long sweep going over these four straight to um, streaming releases. Yeah, this has been an interesting year to watch movies uh, get released. Um online first and i know there's some protest and you know there's some big name actors in other south southern industries who want to wait until their uh movies are ready to go into the theaters but um i think more than any movie as i said more than any film industry as i said in the beginning my own cinema is well poised to um make these releases online um Theater going in Kerala is still not a very comfortable experience for women in single screen theaters. Um, you know, women don't just go on their own. I think this this opens up a, a avenue for um, a lot more people to engage uh, first, you know, as soon as possible in movies when they get released. And obviously for those of us in the diaspora, um, as well as, you know, uh, non-Malayali viewers like you, this is you know, this is a great chance for us to get to be part of movies as soon as they release as well. Um, I have no complaints. And I, I don't either because I, and I, we have talked about the fact that I have in the past have had to wait for months for a DVD to be available before I can even see something that I was excited about three or four or six months prior. So I'm, I mean, I love theaters and I love going to the theater and it's a different experience than streaming, but I have been so grateful at the chance to see these films like pretty much first day for a show when they just 
drop straight to streaming. So I think, you know, we can look at the negatives and certainly there are in terms of theatrical releases and, and theater owners who are really struggling everywhere in the world. Um, but I think we can also see some some positives and it'll be interesting, you know, moving forward to see how the, the cinema world copes with both of those ideas. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was uh, thinking about was that Sufim um, Sujadim is only one among these films um, that could have been served well by a theater release yep. because the way it was shot was um, very much meant to be seen on a big screen. It's funny that it was, you know, OTT, uh, always planned as an OTT release and not a theatrical release. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, it, I mean, I don't recall them ever making any, I don't recall that there was ever a question about the decision other than in, in things like in Tomlinson, Vijay's Master, very clearly they made the decision that they were going to wait for a theatrical release. Um, if I were a film producer and my option was to sit on a film and not make my money back and to sell it to a streaming service, I would probably make the decision to sell it and make my money and allow me to produce more films. I think every, um, every creator needs to consider I mean, filmmaking is a business. And as much as those of us who love it for what it is beyond a business, I think we have to recognize that for some producers, it might mean they don't produce another film. Or it might be, you know, take five years for them to come up with the money for that. And I don't begrudge any creator who makes the decision to send something straight to streaming. Yeah, and the margins in Malayalam cinema are not huge. Um, so they're... they're you know, just was sitting on a film doesn't make a lot of sense if we're turning out movies as fast as Malayalam cinema does. And um, in a lot of ways, Malayalam cinema is very, very, because it, you know, it shoots so fast, you, you often get a lot more timestamps on the films. Um, like it's in the specific era, like in Manier Lashogan, um, he makes yeah. a joke about Donald Trump. In a few months, <laughs> that's going to be worse news. Um, so yeah, the, the, yeah, because of the topicalness of a lot of um, Malayalam films, I think it's yeah. just better to get it out there. Um, except for something like Sufiyam Sujadim, I I think I could see how you know because they were aspiring to something like Indonesian which was definitely worth seeing on the big screen. Um, you know they could you know, they could have somewhat benefited from uh, taking it to the theaters. Yeah, and certainly films that are very, that, that the story is really their selling point, like Hala Love Story, like See You Soon, that translates no matter what. And I would agree with you that you know, sometimes the cinematography really, it's a shame we couldn't see it on a big screen. But, you know, we're living in the strangest of times. And people are making making the best of the situation and the best judgments they can for their for their work. And you know, what a this is was a missed opportunity for the um late streaming service Regal Monk that was um set out to oh. release Malayalam movies 
um, on the same day, um, you know, online on the same day that they release in theaters. I think they only ever managed to do Jay Raj's Hotel um, yep. through the streaming platform. But, you know, if they had launched in 2019, they would have really had a, a great time um, this year. I know. I And I, w I was so excited when they came on the scene. And so discouraged that they couldn't make it work. And you're right. Timing sometimes with this stuff is everything. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.